Employee rights. While investment managers tend to exercise most voting rights in corporations, bought with pension, life insurance and mutual fund money, employees also exercise voice through collective bargaining rules in labor law. Increasingly, corporate law has converged with labor law. The United States is in a minority of organization for economic cooperation and development countries that, as yet, has no law requiring employee voting rights in corporations, either in the general meeting or for representatives on the board of directors. On the other hand, the United States has the oldest voluntary co-determination statute for private corporations, in Massachusetts since 1919 passed under the Republican Governor Calvin Coolidge, enabling manufacturing companies to have employee representatives on the board of directors, if corporate stockholders agreed. Also in 1919 both Procter & Gamble and the General Ice Delivery Company of Detroit had employee representation on boards. In the early 20th century, labor law theory split between those who advocated collective bargaining backed by strike action, those who advocated a greater role for binding arbitration, and proponents of co-determination as industrial democracy. Today, these methods are seen as complements, not alternatives. A majority of countries in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development have laws requiring direct participation rights. In 1994, the Dunlop Commission on the Future of Worker Management Relations, final report examined law reform to improve collective labor relations, and suggested minor amendments to encourage worker involvement. Congressional division prevented federal reform, but labor unions and state legislatures have experimented. Corporations are chartered under state law, the larger mostly in Delaware, but leave investors free to organize voting rights and board representation as they choose. Because of unequal bargaining power, but also historic caution of labor unions, shareholders monopolize voting rights in American corporations. From the 1970s employees and unions sought representation on company boards. This could happen through collective agreements, as it historically occurred in Germany or other countries, or through employees demanding further representation through employee stock ownership plans, but they aimed for a voice independent from capital risks that could not be diversified. Corporations where workers attempted to secure board representation included United Airlines, the General Tire and Rubber Company, and the Providence and Worcester Railroad. However, in 1974 the Securities and Exchange Commission, run by appointees of Richard Nixon, rejected that employees who held shares in AT&T were entitled to make proposals to include employee representatives on the board of directors. This position was eventually reversed expressly by the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010 Section 971, which subject to rules by the Securities and Exchange Commission entitles shareholders to put forward nominations for the board. Instead of pursuing board seats through shareholder resolutions, for example, The United Auto Workers successfully sought board representation by collective agreement at Chrysler in 1980, and the United Steel Workers secured board representation in five corporations in 1993. However, it was clear that employee stock ownership plans were open to abuse, particularly after Enron collapsed in 2003. Workers had been enticed to invest an average of 62.5% of their retirement savings from 401k plans in Enron stock against basic principles of prudent, diversified investment, and had no board representation. This meant, employees lost a majority of pension savings. For this reason, employees and unions have sought representation simply for investment of labor, without taking on undiversifiable capital risk. 
Empirical research suggests by 1999 there were at least 35 major employee representation plans with worker directors, though often linked to corporate stock. Officers and directors' duties. While corporate constitutions typically set out the balance of power between directors, shareholders, employees and other stakeholders, additional duties are owed by members of the board to the corporation as a whole. First, rules can restrain or empower the directors in whose favor they exercise their discretion. While older corporate law judgments suggested directors had to promote shareholder value, most modern state laws empower directors to exercise their own business judgment in the way they balance the claims of shareholders, employees, and other stakeholders. Second, all state laws follow the historical pattern of fiduciary duties to require that directors avoid conflicts of interest between their own pursuit of profit and the interests of the corporation. The exact standard, however, may be more or less strict. Third, many states require some kind of basic duty of care in performance of a director's tasks, just as minimum standards of care apply in any contract for services. However, Delaware has increasingly abandoned objective duties of care and allows liability waivers. On January 25, 2023, the Delaware Court of Chancery ruled that McDonald's former global chief people officer could be sued by shareholders who accused him of allowing a culture of sexual misconduct and harassment to develop at the company, clarifying that corporate officers owe a duty of oversight. This landmark decision represented the first time that Delaware courts had explicitly recognized an officer-level fiduciary duty of oversight. The stockholders in this derivative lawsuit are represented by lawyers from Grant and Eisenhofer P.A., Scott and Scott Attorneys at Law LLP, and Newman Ferrara LLP. Stakeholder Interests Most corporate laws empower directors, as part of their management functions, to determine which strategies will promote a corporation's success in the interests of all stakeholders. Directors will periodically decide whether and how much of a corporation's revenue should be shared among directors' own pay, the pay for employees, for example whether to increase or not next financial year, the dividends or other returns to shareholders, whether to lower or raise prices for consumers, whether to retain and reinvest earnings in the business, or whether to make charitable and other donations. Most states have enacted constituency statutes, which state expressly that directors are empowered to balance the interests of all stakeholders in the way that their conscience or good faith decisions would dictate. This discretion typically applies when making a decision about the distribution of corporate resources among different groups, or in whether to defend against a takeover bid. For example, in Schlensky v. Wrigley the president of the Chicago Cubs baseball team was sued by stockholders for allegedly failing to pursue the objective of shareholder profit maximization. The president had decided the corporation would not install floodlights over the baseball ground that would have allowed games to take place at night, because he wished to ensure baseball games were accessible for families, before children's bedtime. The Illinois court held that this decision was sound because even though it could have made more money, the director was entitled to regard the interests of the community as more important. Following a similar logic in A.P. Smith Manufacturing Company v. Barlow a New Jersey court held that the directors were entitled to make a charitable donation to Princeton University on the basis because there was no suggestion that it was made indiscriminately or to a pet charity of the corporate directors in furtherance of personal rather than corporate ends. So long as the directors could not be said to have conflicting interests, their actions would be sustained. Delaware's law has also followed the same general logic, even though it has no specific constituency or stakeholder statute. The standard is, however, contested largely among business circles which favor a view that directors should act in the sole interests of shareholder value. 
Judicial support for this aim is typically found in a case from Michigan in 1919, called Dodge v. Ford Motor Company. Here, the Ford Motor Company president Henry Ford had publicly announced that he wished not merely to maximize shareholder returns but to raise employee wages, decrease the price of cars for consumers, because he wished, as he put it, to spread the benefits of this industrial system to the greatest possible number. A group of shareholders sued and the Michigan Supreme Court said in an obiter dictum that a business corporation is organized and carried on primarily for the profit of the stockholders. The powers of the directors are to be employed for that end. However, in the case itself a damages claim against Ford did not succeed, and since then Michigan law has been changed. The U.S. Supreme Court has also made it clear in Burwell v. Hobby Lobby Stores Incorporated that shareholder value is not a default or overriding aim of corporate law, unless a corporation's rules expressly opt to define such an objective. In practice, many corporations do operate for the benefit of shareholders, but this is less because of duties, and more because shareholders typically exercise a monopoly on the control rights over electing the board. This assumes, however, that directors do not merely use their office to further their own personal goals over the interests of shareholders, employees, and other stakeholders.